and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show is presented to you by Gastelich Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Robert Port and Craig Frankel. And today we're talking about spring cleaning your financial house. And now it's time to introduce our guests. We are pleased to have with us today Bradley Hilton, financial advisor with Modera Wealth Management, LLC, and Laura Aikens, Associate Attorney at Nadler Birnath, LLC. So first, let's have our listeners find out a little bit about you. Bradley, why don't you give a brief description about uh, yourself and your particular firm's practice area? Yes, thank you, Robert. My name is Bradley Hilton. I'm with Madera Wealth Management. We are a uh, fee-only regional in, or registered investment advisor located here in Atlanta, Georgia, but we have five offices along the East Coast. And Laura? I'm Laura Aikens with Nadler Biernath, and we're a specialized law firm that does estate planning and probate work. Um, we run the gamut of estate planning, but we specialize specifically in um, elder law and special needs planning for people with disabilities. Well, thank you. Our topic today is spring cleaning your financial house. So in thinking of how to delve into this topic, I thought it might be a good idea to ask each of you what you do when a new client comes along? What do you ask them as your initial questions to get the checklist, as I see it, of, of what you need to know so that you can make sure their house is in order? Laura? Our first question for clients is always, do you have a will in place? Do you have powers of attorney in place? Where are they? What do they say? So, Can anyone actually answer those questions? <laughs> often they can because we send intake forms out to remind you. <laughs> so um, that's always going to be a question when people come into the office. And frankly, you know, very few people have that sort of situated on their first go around with us. So... Um, Part of the spring cleaning is usually actually setting up those documents and thinking about who you want to put in place for your different designations and so forth. So, so that's that's usually uh, the first thing we ask is what what documents are in place. And and do people generally have access to those documents? Are well, they able to to actually locate them and bring them to you? Right. Uh, Occasionally, <laughs> occasionally, people often put them in safe deposit boxes thinking, oh, this is a perfect place because it's 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 protected. It's out of the house in case of a disaster and uh, it's one central location. But the problem is that you have to have access to a safe deposit box. So what if mom puts her son on as a the designee and then her son dies and then mom dies? How do we get mom's documents? So so you have to think about that. I have a trick. Uh-huh. I have a fireproof lockbox at right. the house with the key in it. <laughs> I'm not worried about anyone stealing anything. I'm worried about the documents being accessible or, or, or catching fire. So I have them in an easy-to-find place that everyone knows where it is, but it's a firebox. I think a safe box in the house is the best option, uh, just just for, for practicality. Um, as long as you tell your executor or whoever you've designated to, to be responsible for these things, where they are and how to get into the safe. Again, that's added to the list of those online passwords, which I know we may be talking about later, the list of, of your, your 
lockbox password. Right. Now, Bradley, let me ask you the same question. When you get a new client, what do you do to make sure or see if their house is in order? And then beyond that, what you need to do to help them to get their house in order? That's a great question. Robert, generally when someone comes in to see us, our first question is, why are you here to see us? What's brought you in here? It's generally triggered by... You mean other than Wealth Matters radio show? Other than this outstanding podcast and radio show, yes. They generally have a reason they're seeking us out. Uh, And oftentimes they've come to us by way of referral or they've found us uh, by looking through NAPFA or fee-only firms. So oftentimes we'll see this um, triggered by one or two things, usually a milestone in their life. That'd be life, death, marriage, um, starting a family, adding to the family, um, retirement, disability, purchase of a business or practice, sale of a business or practice, some big uh, life event or some big wealth event. uh, Inheritance is another uh, big driver. Oftentimes, as well, they're getting to other milestones in their life, Uh, you know, retirement, or there's reaching certain ages where questions arise. And I like your choice of words. You say milestones. I like to say life cycle events because any life cycle, birth of a kid, great celebration, graduation from kindergarten, things that change your family situation are times to think about things. Absolutely. And you need to be sort of hopefully thinking about those ahead of those events and coming in, seeking out the advice that you may need, or maybe just bouncing questions off of us. We're here for several reasons. We can help guide our clients and help advise them for these life uh, milestones and their goals and towards their goals. But also sometimes people just like having a second set of eyes. So let's follow up on that. I asked generically about new clients, but what are there differences between, let's say, couples, divorced folks, uh, same-sex marriage, um, things like that? Laura, talk about that a little bit in terms of trying to understand what their financial house looks like from your perspective. Yeah, in the, the general scheme of estate planning, people have a lot of expectations about coming to the office. They need to have everything ready to go. But frankly, every single client has a different set of circumstances that we have to look at in determining what's the best course of action moving forward. So certainly a couple would look different than a single person because who do you leave things to if you're a single person, generally speaking, though not always, with a couple, you have a sort of a default person that you're going to designate for a variety of different functions. So, um, but everybody's got different circumstances. And I think that really uh, sometimes stresses out a client and it's overwhelming to come talk to a lawyer or your investment manager about, uh, or your financial manager about, um, you know, what your, your, your plans for disaster and death and, and your general money situation are. But everybody's so different and so divorce certainly would play a role if you're contemplating divorce well maybe we don't want to put spouse in place as your default and and let's note that for our listeners if you're thinking about divorce please go see your financial planner and your estate planner then yeah because there are some pre-divorce techniques that you need to do before you go into divorce and one of those is you got to know what money you have and the second is make sure you know what your beneficiary designations are because during the pendency of the divorce in Georgia, you can't change title. Right. Let me, let me touch on something with you, Bradley, that Laura referred to, which is people's um, hesitancy, I'll call it, to deal with financial matters. We did a show recently where, where one of our guests who does divorce work said that her sense is that uh, many women, divorcing women, would rather talk about planning their funeral 
than planning their financial situation. So can you comment on that? Yes, it's, it's an interesting observation, and I actually don't have a reason for why people are so hesitant to talk about their financial lives uh, when you compare it to all the other things that they're willing to open up on. But when it comes to you know, your financial spring cleaning and, and taking care of your financial life, Robert, you're a cyclist. You regularly, I assume, periodically maintain your bike, and that would be wrapped around either a big event, you've got a big 100-miler coming up, or you're just out there and you want to be at the peak of your performance. Well, we should all want the same thing for our financial goals. You want to look at everything periodically. You want to find out, we want to find out what are your goals, what's important to you, and then what happens if something disastrous goes on tomorrow? Are we covered for that? Same thing as if you were spring cleaning your own home. You can't get to everything. Let's figure out what's important to you, and let's figure out what has to be taken care of this year, and then maybe next year we'll take a look at something else. And let, let's touch off on that. The reason we chose the word spring cleaning is this is the month after tax season. And if you're going to do any tax planning, you got to think about it in advance. So someone comes into you, Bradley, and says, you know, here's my smorgasbord of things. Here's what I think I have, and here's what I don't think I have. And you say intelligently, show me your documents because I know whatever you told me is wrong. <laughs> and now let's think about what it is that you have. So kind of tell us, if you can, what are the things that people should be thinking about, just in general about financial planning? Because sometimes we think about just retirement accounts or just bank accounts, but I think there's a lot more. There is a lot more, and it all starts with going back to my previous point. What are your goals for yourself and your life? Do you have a financial plan to achieve those goals? Do you have a budget in place? Because the budget is essentially the backbone. It's the roadmap to achieving those goals. How often are you checking back in with yourself? And again, are the big ticket items taken care of? As far as post-tax season, you know, we're just out of it. So now you've either just filed or you've just recently extended your tax return. And you've learned that the tax act, whatever it's called, where you thought you were going to get rich, wasn't entirely mm -hmm. true. That all depends on what you do and how your went year was last year. If you <laughs> own real estate, that's great. <laughs> it's great for you if you're in real estate. Uh, but, yeah, a few things have changed, and we just went through our first tax season under the new law. So for those that have filed, let's, you know, let's get you in. Let's take a look at your documents, and let's even talk about maybe doing a tax projection to see how 2019 compares to 2018. For those that have extended more than likely it's because you're waiting on a K-1 or you're a small business owner. So let's get as many of your documents as you can to your CPA and let's, again, run a tax projection for 2019 based on what we know for 2018 and let's see where you stand and where you're looking. There are estimated payments to consider. There's additional withholding. If you're a small business owner, then you're going to want to consider funding your um, the employer side of your retirement plans either before you file or September 15th, which is the deadline for filing for an S-Corp or LLC? It, it seems to me, Bradley, that, that one of the issues you often face is something we often see, which is people don't often have their hands around what they've got. You know, if you've, if you've had a career, you've got a 401k, maybe you rolled it over, maybe you didn't. You might have life insurance, you might not. You might have property and casualty insurance, you might have a 529, you might have a Roth. Talk about sort of getting your hands around all of that, because that, I think, is one reason people who are not interested in this shy away from it, because they look at this and, oh, my God, I'll never be able to deal with it. So I don't. Another good point. And that's exactly why, if that's not your thing, 
seeking out a financial planner is the right call because we will poke you and prod you and persist to get the information that we need so we can put together what we call a personal financial statement or net worth statement. Wait, you're going to pay somebody to prod you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to comment on that. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, we are persistent in getting the information. So before, if you were seeking out our advice, we would send you uh, an informational form and you'd fill out as much information as you could for us. We'd like to know a lot about your family, about your particular situation. And then once we sit down with you and sort of do what we call a discovery meeting, getting to know your goals and getting to know even more about you, we start to unravel um, kind of the what you've built up for yourself. And then we present the personal financial statement, which is the roadmap of what you have, where is it, how is it titled. Um, and let's underscore that. How is it titled? I tell a joke a lot when I'm talking to clients after there's a dispute, and which is if they tell you how it's titled and their lips are moving, they're wrong. Because oftentimes you think you know, but you don't. And title is hugely important when you have a dispute. <laughs> Laura and I are both smiling. It's hugely it. important in general. <laughs> <laughs> so you're absolutely right. We trust, but also verify. We want to see the statements from the life insurance policy uh, for the IRAs, the 401k. We want to know who the beneficiary, the named beneficiaries are. If they say they've got an individual investment account, well, is it really in your name? Is it in your spouse's name? Is it joint uh, tenants with right of survivorship, tenants in common? That makes a big big difference on your estate plan and just how you can manage your assets going forward. And Laura, look, what's the biggest problem you have when people come in and they've got documents? What's the biggest problem that you see in their documents or lack of documents? Someone has died or they've been divorced or they don't have the documents in general, but typically they have somebody designated to receive um, or or to um manage their affairs upon death and they um they haven't updated in you know 15 20 years which is too long um and so something to underscore with what bradley's saying is that if you go ahead and meet with the financial advisor and gather everything together you don't have to go through that again every year it's already settled and you've got that base point so the spring cleaning truly is a, you know, kind of a spring cleaning. It's not a total overhaul. It's not a renovation of your house. It's just a pick-me-up. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Craig Frankel and Robert Port from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We are talking today with Bradley Hilton, financial advisor with Modera Wealth Management, and Laura Aikens, associate attorney with Nadler Birnath. Our topic today is spring cleaning your financial house. Now, Laura, uh, when people talk about estate planning, uh, everyone immediately says, okay, I need a will. But there's a lot more to that. Can you talk about things like trust, powers of attorney, health care directives, and things like that, and why that should be on someone's uh, spring cleaning list? Right. So when you go to your estate planning attorney, the first two documents they should address in the line of documents to to discuss are your your powers of attorney. In Georgia, we have statutory powers of attorney, meaning they're forms contained in the law. Um, If you're a lawyer- Which, by the way, is new. It is new. So if you have powers of attorney, the new Powers of Attorney Act has a lot of opt-in and opt-out that you may not have thought about five or 10 years ago. And there's some really good protections in there. So you should always go back and review your powers of attorney with Laura or someone else like her. 
Right. And so what we do, the financial power of attorney allows you to appoint a person to make financial decisions on your behalf in the event you're unable to. Again, that's a form that's in the law. We have a bunch of extra language to say no really bank or financial institution. I mean it. I say this person can have power. Um, so that's that's sort of our function. And we walk you through the form. Same thing with a, uh, it's a healthcare power of attorney in Georgia is known as an advanced directive for healthcare. And that combines the power of attorney choice and the, the living will choice of, of end of life care and how do you want, you know, pull the plug. And this power of attorney is not a financial power of attorney, it's to make health decisions for you. Right, so you get to choose a person to make health care decisions. And those two documents are only in effect uh, while you're alive. And so those are those are pretty important documents for the sort of so-called disaster planning, which I'm sorry to tell you, but almost always will happen for people these days. You get sick or you get in a car accident. Um, you might have to go into the hospital. Uh, how are the bills going to get paid? Who's going to make the health care decisions while you're in the hospital? Uh, the documents after that, of course, are the will, which directs your assets upon your death. Um, but sometimes people have specific situations where a will may not be the only instrument you need or it may not serve the best function for your specific assets or your family situation. In that case, often we'll do a trust. And there are literally hundreds of different types of trusts. Uh, that may be an exaggeration. Hundreds? I don't know. But there are a lot of different kinds of trusts. Um, we do trusts for people with disabilities. We do trusts for uh, wealth management. We do trusts often if there's a a contentious family situation and you want to try to avoid having to go through the public probate of your will and notify all of your heirs and so forth there's some procedure involved in dealing with a will when a person dies and in Georgia that's not always a huge deal but it can be quickly so we consider that when when we're talking about all of this and let's just mention for our listeners a will when you die is going to be public However, a trust, unless there's a dispute when you hire Gasowitz Frankel, mm -hmm. it's generally not going to be public. So sometimes just the privacy issues may matter to the to the decedent. Right, exactly. And and Laura, can you explain to our listeners whether or not the type of financial accounts that Bradley deals with uh, are involved in your planning, particularly with respect to what the will says or doesn't say? Right. So. Interestingly enough, uh, in the past several years, the bulk of our client, all of our clients' wealth, uh, and that wealth can be $20,000 or millions of dollars. That's It's still wealth. The bulk of it is in accounts that have beneficiary designations. So ding, 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 Bradley. Okay, so um, let's, let's talk about that because beneficiary designations really are where we see the largest disputes, either mistakes because they forgot to correct it or they never put it in. So explain to our listeners what the importance is of beneficiary designations. It's a great question. <clears throat> so at Modera, once we set up an account for clients or we bring their, their, their wealth in, we oftentimes, first thing we do is review their estate plan. Not ourselves, we bring in a state planning attorney to review. And if it, there's a need for an update, if the estate law has changed, which it often does, or just uh, the the state plan is ten years old and is need to be is in need to be uh, revision. Apologies, or maybe you moved in from another state. 
possibly you bought real estate in another state. That's another reason to review your estate plan, possibly get into trusts. Then we go into your accounts and we want to make sure that the beneficiary designation or the titling of the accounts matches your estate plan and your goals for your wealth when you're gone. You mentioned earlier, you said um, buzzwords that have lots of meaning to the lawyers at this table, but sometimes not a lot of meaning to our listeners. Joint tenants with right of survivorship, joint accounts. Explain what they are. Sure. So generally, if you have what's called a qualified or tax deferred account, that is something where <clears throat> you have not paid the taxes on that account now, and you're going to pay the taxes. Give tax some examples. 401k, an IRA, a 403b if you are a teacher. Those accounts, you don't pay taxes now, and then when you take a distribution later in life, presumably in retirement, you pay taxes then. Those come with what generally we call beneficiary designations, meaning you can designate a, a, an individual or a trust to receive those assets if something were to happen to you. Now, on the other side, we've got what we call taxable or brokerage accounts, and that's money where you've already paid the taxes on that but you put it into investments. Imagine just going out there and buying Apple stock for $100. I don't think you can do that anymore. But uh, then that would come with titling. You can either have it in the individual title, which would be just my name, and therefore that would pass by way of my will or state documents. You can also do joint tenants with right of survivorship, and that bypasses probate, that bypasses your state, and it literally goes upon your death directly to the other named individual on that account. Then we have tenants in common. It's very similar, except for you can actually envision it as individual ownership, where if you and I owned property together, 50% tenants in common, we could both have absolute right to use that property, but upon my death, I can sell my, my share of the property. Upon my de uh, Prior to death, I can sell my share of the property. Upon my death, I can have that go through my estate plan. It does not automatically go to you. And also in tenants in common, it does not have to be 50-50 where joint, right, uh, joint tenants with right of survivorship has to be even number of shares. And both of you have suggested that the way to think about this, particularly if you're doing the type of uh, maintenance and update we're talking about, is to involve all your professionals. Your estate planner should not be in a separate silo. Your financial planner should not be in a separate silo because they need to coordinate. They need to understand what's going on with your beneficiary designations, with your powers of attorney. So that is something important, and I'm pleased to hear you suggest to our listeners that they make sure that their respective professionals communicate. Though I will point out that typically when a client comes in, we love the financial planner to be in on it. And so we get somebody set up. If they don't have documents in place, we do the documents. We work with the financial planner. Um, but after that, I don't know that spring cleaning means necessarily, I, I hesitate to say, talking to your professional. I mean, it really could just mean pulling the documents out of the drawer or maybe having a phone call with your financial planner to say, you know, are the numbers changing? Do I need to do anything? Well, that's a big issue. The numbers changing, uh -huh. both your wealth changing and your needs. So my last child just went to college. So my wife and I, for good or bad, are now empty nesters. And our need for insurance and what we were planning to get the kids through college is different today than it was 15 years ago when we, you know, were trying to think about it. Right. And so 
it may be the case that your will is still fine and it serves its function and you need to rem- you know recall who you've put in place to serve as your executor but if that person is still alive and kicking and competent and hasn't gone off the rails you may not need to call your estate planner again but you may want to talk to Bradley and say hey I've got all of this you know these insurance uh, premiums I'm paying and I no longer need them what do I do so what happens if the beneficiary designations are not what you want and you now die? Oopsies. Oopsies. But what are the kind of problems that people face when they made a mistake? Let me give you an example of sort of the worst case I've seen. That is um, two spouses divorce. They never change their beneficiary designations. Both or either one have remarried. Maybe contemplation of or there are children under the new marriage and oh no, I just passed away and I've left everything by beneficiary designation or joint tenants that I never changed to my ex-spouse and my new right. children, my yeah, How many wife. people at the table here have uh, yeah. seen that? And by I, the way, everybody. this is a problem we see all the yep. time and the numbers can be astronomical. Um, yes. I'm smiling because I have a case on my desk right now with very similar facts. Mm-hmm. And that is sort of the worst case I've seen, but oftentimes we see just even smaller cases, but they lead to a lot of family contention. We want to help our clients lead their best lives. We want to help them enjoy their family in the way that they always desired. You wouldn't imagine. And the, the amount of money, it's, it's always shocking. The amount of money, it's, it, it's inconsequential. It's all relative. It's all the relative. <laughs> and what's, what's hard for lay people to wrap their heads around is that once that happens... As Laura said, the will, if there's a beneficiary designation, means nothing. And from the insurance company's perspective, they follow the beneficiary designation. The fact that you were divorced, you may have hated your ex-spouse, it may make no sense to anybody. The insurance company has a contractual obligation to pay that money, as the beneficiary designation says, which goes back to making sure you periodically make sure all this stuff is right. Bradley, you mentioned reducing family tension, which is really a goal that we have even in family disputes. How can we resolve the dispute and minimize family tensions and maximize the opportunity for having reconciliation? So let's talk about, uh, Laura, when you choose a fiduciary, when you choose an executor or you choose a trustee, we often default to the oldest child or to the spouse and the oldest child. Tell us about how one should go about choosing who should be the executor or trustee or the other type of fiduciary. Right. So an executor or a trustee is going to be a person who is managing your money and distributing according to a legal document. I always tell clients that the person should have something that my old boss used to call business common sense. So basically it's knowing when to ask questions to a professional, um, knowing when to delegate, and also generally being a responsible ethical person as far as money goes. Um, If your uh, executor does not speak to the rest of the family, well, that could be a problem, right? You want to consider how uh, they communicate with other people. Are they diplomatic? I don't actually think location is as important anymore as far as whether they live out of state or in state, though it, it, it is preferential for them to be closer for practicality. As far as actual, um, you know, business, uh, you can take care of a lot of that online. Um, 
but really it's important for a person to know I need to ask a lawyer or a CPA about what's going on in this estate or with this trust. And it's also important for them to realize that they have a higher level of duty to the uh, estate that, or trust. That's a buzzword for you could be sued. Oh, yep. Yep. Let you have a higher duty. It's a fiduciary duty. And um, you have to you have an obligation to serve the, the the funds that you're managing and also the beneficiaries of those funds. So if you appoint your your spouse and your your spouse is not uh, going to benefit, but your children are, if your children are your spouse's stepchildren, you might want to think about that relationship. Um, there are a lot of really great professional fiduciaries out there now that are serving for a fee, of course, but that mitigates a lot of those potential disputes that we're talking about. And they're often better investors than an individual. Let me ask you a question that we see often. We see that the same person is designated to be the agent on a power of attorney is the same person that's the executor. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? I think it's a good idea because it maintains some consistency and you, again, an agent for a financial power of attorney has that same level of duty, the fiduciary duty. Um, but uh, so consistency, they know the accounts, they know what's going on and they can kind of ease into the role of executor, which is the person that manages your estate upon death fairly easily. You're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. Your hosts today are Robert Port and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gasowicz Frankel. We're talking with Bradley Hilton and Laura Akins about spring cleaning your financial house. Bradley, it, it occurs to me that one fundamental thing we have not yet touched upon is budgeting. Talk, talk about that and how and if you approach that with clients, because I know a lot of people, money comes in, they spend it, and there's no budget, either real or imagined, involved. And before you do that, tell me how to have that conversation with my 18-year-old daughter. <laughs> We're going to have to take that one offline. <laughs> uh, the budget, simply put, is money in and money out, how you're tracking it. We have a lot of clients that will come in or a lot of prospects that come in that say, I make 500000 a year and I'm, we're only spending about 250000 a year. So there you have it. Let's, uh, let's see what we can do. And we take a look at the numbers and we say, something's not adding up. If you're, you know, even after taxes, if you're only spending 250000 a year, you should have, you know, only. What, only, uh, only. Mm -hmm. You should have, this is, you know, hypothetical situation. You should have x amount in savings so we're not seeing that so where's that money actually going and we start to ask more questions to figure out you know, more about their lifestyle and more about their desires and their goals and from there we help them work out a budget if they need it or at least we get a, a, a nice idea and a ballpark of where they are of course, are there tools online to help somebody realize what they're actually spending because from my perspective when you say what do i think i'm going to spend you're often there's a disconnect between what you're actually spending that's a great question. Yes, there are there are spending and budget aggregators out there. There's Mint.com. There's YNAB, which is you need a budget. Uh, there are a couple of other good ones out there. For the do-it-yourselfer, you can log into various accounts. It'll pull in your bank statements, your credit card statements, and then you can categorize everything, subcategorize to your heart's desire. And therefore, you can get an idea of where your money is actually going and that total number on average for a month, on average for a year, then we have uh, what we have, a retirement analysis software program that we will punch in, 
all of your information. It's very intuitive. It goes through and does the cal tax calculations. It even adjusts for the tax sunset, probably getting well above people's uh, uh, pay grade at this point. Uh, the, the tax sunset mean or merely means that the tax laws are going to change in about 10 years unless we change them again. In 2025, the current tax law, at least some parts of it, are going to what they call sunset and go away and revert back to what it was before unless there's another change. So we'll put all of that information in, and based on their goals, we can help them kind of set the trend or figure out what they need to do to more easily achieve their goals. And that can be you know, two-sided. What more do you need to do for education planning? What more do you need to do to get you where you need to go in retirement? Or, oh my goodness, the results show that you've actually overfunded for retirement and you're not living the best life you could now. So let's talk about that. Um, this isn't an advertisement for Mint, but um, I think one of my sons turned me on to it a number of years ago and I've entered all my data. And in addition to giving you budgeting ideas, you can enter, for example, your credit cards. And every time there's a charge, it shows up. So one other aspect of that is, you know, with the sort of rampancy of fraud, you can pick that up. It'll show you the balances on your account, on your uh, uh, mortgage so you can get an idea of your net worth mm -hmm. and again as a do-it-yourself thing it's wonderful to have all these tools out there um, one of the things we hadn't talked about with either of you is insurance Laura you want to take insurance to some degree we we suggest to our clients that uh, that's a tool that they can utilize life insurance especially for our younger clients can be a jackpot because it's cheap and it's a great way to fund a trust if you've got a child especially in our case we do a lot of special needs work if you've got a child with special needs that you need to plan for their lifetime care having uh, a trust is can be really important and how do you fund that trust? Well, you can pretty cheaply fund it with life insurance. Um, that's also just, you know, one of those big pieces of most people have some kind of insurance through work or in general, just as an investment vehicle uh, when, they're, when they're younger. And um, knowing who the beneficiaries are and uh, tr keeping track of the value of the life insurance if you've got a whole life policy is something we're always discussing. We don't talk too much. We talk some about, um, you know, uh, if you've got an umbrella policy, if you've got different entities, LLCs or trusts or things like that that are managing rental property or out-of-state property and you've got an umbrella policy, we're always going to ask about that. Bradley, talk about the different types of insurance one should think about. So we, you know, Laura mentioned life insurance, mm -hmm. but there's lots of other insurance out there that's protecting your family in different ways. Some are very expensive and some are not. So which, what kind of life insurance, what type of insurance should a normal individual or family think about? It's a great question. And I think the answer is depends. It depends on your stage in life. It depends on um, a lot of other factors, but let's talk about kind of the big four as far as insurance in my mind. You've got life insurance. And just remember, all insurances are there to protect you from what I would, say, what I would consider kind of catastrophic events. That's why no, it's called insurance. Exactly. <laughs> no one likes paying it, but you're really glad you have it if something happens. So, and, and the point is catastrophic events. That's why I'm personally adverse to things, to buying things such as uh, warranties and service contracts, which are a form of insurance. But uh, in my mind, insurance should be exactly and only for catastrophic events. Agreed. 
Uh, I won't touch on warranty because that's a whole other topic for a, a, a different day. Um, but when we talk to our clients, when a client first comes in, we want you know, once we get to know them and get to know their goals. Okay, what do you have as your stopgap? Where where can things really go wrong? Do you have adequate life insurance? Depending on your age, your income, your family situation, how long do your children have until they go to or finish college? Have you properly funded for that, or do you need a stopgap for that as well? Do you um, want to take care of other family members? Do you have parents, wife, grandchildren, whatever the case may be? And, and we're seeing, by the way, a lot more now because our, our, our aging population is living longer. Lots of adult children, and by the way, when I say adult children, I mean 50, 60, and 70-year-olds are going to have to provide for their parents. Mm -hmm. And Laura made a great point that uh, you know, term insurance for those that don't know, term insurance is you buy, it's very cheap comparative uh, insurance for, li for your life, and term is just that. It's, it lasts for a particular term. So generally you'll see something like a million-dollar policy. That's a million-dollar death benefit. It's for a 20-year term. You pay into it for 20 years. After that, it drops off. It's very affordable compared to what they call whole-life policies, which is something you pay into for the rest of your life, and it starts to build a balance. We like that because, because it's cheap. You can get a lot of it, and you can also ladder it. You can say, okay, for these particular goals in my life, I can get $500,000 policy for 10 years. For this goal, another 20. And in contemplation of future children or taking care of grandparents or whatever the case may be, let's do another one staggered on for 30 years. So you've mentioned kind of four types of insurance. You've talked about life insurance. What are <laughs> the other three? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the other three, disability insurance. Um, oftentimes, if you are uh, you know, a W-2 employee, meaning you're employed by an employer, they're going to provide some level of disability insurance. It tends to default to 50% of your income. It's usually an opt-in for an additional 60, and that's where it stops. What happens if you go disabled? And let's, uh, the statistics are that you're more likely to be disabled during your working years, during your career, than you are to be killed. So Dramatically so. 60% of everybody is going to have some disability. It may be short-term like a car accident, but 60% of the population will have a disability while they're working. That's a great lead, isn't it? So we want to assess that because if you have a policy that is paid for by your employer or it's paid with pre-tax dollars, then when it pays out to you, it's actually taxable. So therefore, that 60% of your salary is actually significantly less depending on what tax bracket you're in. So we want to look at that. We want to see if there's adequate coverage and if we can get you more in a personal policy. Because if you're paying for that policy out of pocket, then the benefits, if you ever go disabled, are tax-free. So that's number two. Number three would be health care, health insurance. We want to take a look at that, see where you stand. If you're in a high deductible plan, are you taking advantage of what I consider my, my second favorite uh, retirement vehicle, which is a health savings account? And then the final one would be long-term care insurance. Uh, where do you think healthcare is going into the future? Do you think you're adequately covered? Do you want to sort of potentially relieve the burden on family and protect yourself down the line so that you don't eat into the assets and the wealth that you've worked so hard to build over time by spending it all on healthcare costs? We're kind of nearing the end of the show and I wanted to make sure we didn't leave this topic because I think it's so important. Digital assets, particularly passwords and things like that, Sometimes we say, I'll give my password to my wife, but they forget about it. Or, and technically, after you die, you can't use a password. So what, what are the kind of the issues, Laura, that we're seeing for passwords and access to Facebook and other digital things? And what can we do or think about um, as we start planning for either disability or death? 
it's very difficult to get access to any accounts that have an online password once a person passes away if you don't have the password. So it's true, technically we're not supposed to access these things, but if you keep a list of online passwords, if you've got bank accounts online, your Facebook, Gmail, uh, or any other online email, um, keeping a list of all of those passwords in a document, you can even keep it in a password protected document, but that creates another question, um, and updating it because of course we're encouraged to change our passwords periodically. So that is a crucial part of spring cleaning. If you're trying to make the rest of your family or whoever's managing your affairs, if you're trying to make their life easier, uh, knowing what those passwords are so upon your death they can kind of kick into action. Uh, you might not want your Facebook online for eternity. You might not want your email to be just open and up for grabs. You can also designate legacy um, appointees or contacts. I'm not sure of the official name. This is still totally the Wild West. And, and let's note this. On, on social media, they will have a tool that right. you can make some specific decisions. You can put a default in your will if you choose that. Mm -hmm. I want to mention one thing about passwords, though. If you find access and you have a single place and there's lots of online tools to store your passwords, one of the online tools you can use is if somebody accesses it other than you, right? you get a notice. Mm -hmm. So at least you can see. So you can say to my brother, if you ever need it, here's the passwords. But if brother goes in a couple of years too early and you're not yet dead or not yet disabled, at least you know. Right. Right. And you want to keep track of all of that because there's everything is online now. And so being able to manage those things, especially manage them in incapacity or death uh, is is crucial for ease of, uh, you know, movement as you're going through a disaster or death. Right, before we conclude, we wanted to ask each of you if you had a success story or short success stories that you'd want to share with our listeners that touch upon the topics we've we've talked today. Bradley? Sure. Uh, we have many success stories, but honestly, what gives me uh, what gives me pause and when I reflect upon what we do, it's just anytime we help any of our clients reach any of their financial goals. Uh, if you're selling a business, if you get a big inheritance and you don't know what to do, if you're just looking for a second set of eyes on all of your documents, when we get the thanks, when we get the, when we see that we're making an impact on our clients' lives, that's a win for us every time. And I can't imagine how comforting it is to get a sense of relief, even if you've done everything right before you go see you. Exactly. So mine's sort of similar. The, uh, in law school, I was doing death penalty defense work, and then I moved over to estate planning. And my very first estate planning client I ever had gave me a hug at the end of the meeting. And I was thinking, what is this person doing? And I realized that we're taking a load off. And so anytime someone hugs me when they leave our office, I feel good about that meeting. Well, that's, that, that's a great story. Uh, let's uh, have each of you give our listeners your uh, contact information, websites, uh, phone number, and anything else uh, you'd want them to know. So uh, in case they want to contact you, they can do so. Laura? Sure. I'm with Nadler Biernath. Where our website's nadlerbiernath.com. Uh, the phone number is 770-455-0535, and we're in Dunwoody at the top of the perimeter. We are located in Sandy Springs, uh, just off of 400 and 285. We are Modera Wealth Management, M-O-D-E-R-A. You can find us at moderawealth.com. 
And you can call our direct line at 678-833-1166. As we wrap up our show, I want to thank everyone for listening to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gastowitz Frankel and for more information about our guests, if you didn't remember their website or phone numbers or can't spell their names, please go to our website at gastowitzfrankel.com and remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Bradley Hilton, a financial advisor with Modera Wealth Management, and Laura Akins, an attorney with Nadler Biernath. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 830 here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. 